0: You've got to find a better way to include stuff that you enjoy, or it will be very short lived. And there is one thing that matters more than anything in any nutrition program, and that is consistency. Peak Nutrition Podcast. It is Lindsay and I again. uh, Lindsay and I here again this week. Got a new Q and A. So this one came in again. We're getting more and more questions um, sent to us via email from people who listen, which is a lot of fun. And we've also got like just a ton of questions from the Instagram Q and As that we're going to be able to cover throughout the course of the next year and. Uh, so lots of exciting stuff still to come. But what was the question from the week?
1: Is it possible to eat the foods that I like, eat sensibly, and not overthink it?
0: So I would be, I would be really, really curious. Before we dive real deep into that, what, what's your interpretation of that question?
1: Chances are, if this person is anything like me, they want a way to eat "quote unquote" healthy, maybe to not gain weight or just to, you know keep the weight gain they've lost, um, remade at a certain level, whatever. I'm guessing this person isn't maintenance or near near to it, maybe ate foods they didn't necessarily love losing weight or getting to a healthy spot. But if I asked this question, it would be, how can I eat the foods I really like and still maintain that? So we're often told or at least have the assumption that we can't have pizza or dessert Or fatty foods or anything like that because it will throw the whole thing off. So I think they want to know, you know, how can I keep? Can I incorporate or reintroduce those foods that I really enjoy at a healthy rate?
0: To give a little more context to this, this was actually sent over by someone who was in the Valley to Peak program. She did an amazing job, and the time that she was in the program, she graduated the program. She had gotten off of the meticulous tracking and measuring and and managed to maintain everything that she had accomplished, which is really the entire purpose of our our maintenance phase. But in in the question that she sent over, she linked an article. And so the article was very interesting. And this person's question was basically rooted in asking this, is it possible for me just to be sensible and enjoy foods that I like? without my weight coming back? In other words, like, could I just have, you know, rather than having half of a sheet cake at a wedding that I go to, is it possible for me to have cake and then to have a burger with friends and a milkshake and all of these other things? And she'd observed this whenever she was tracking really, really meticulously, but felt a little apprehensive in her trust of herself to do it without the tracking, right? And so... The answer to that was yes, right? And and the the sensibility of this part I think is defined by really two things. Do you do you eat when you're hungry and do you stop when you're full? So like that th- those two questions alone can really take care of a lot of going too far overboard but also not being so meticulous that you're constantly feeling like you've got a track. In the article that she had linked was actually a study. And so what they did with this study was they measured or they took two groups of people and they gave both of these groups the exact same milkshake. They split the group in half, though, and they told half of that group, look, this is a very indulgent, very high calorie milkshake, right? You're going to get a lot of calories from this but it's going to feel really decadent. They told the other group, keep in mind, this is the exact same milkshake for both groups. They told the other group, this is a very, very sensible milkshake. And that was the exact terminology they used. This is a sensible milkshake, the only 140 calories, the indulgent group, they told them it's 620, but remember same milkshake. And so what they did was they then gave each group that milkshake and they measured hormones, which is really good part to think about in the study because they're not taking like people's subjective opinions. They are literally measuring blood markers to evaluate whether or not, we'll talk about what they evaluated, but they're they're blood markers. They're not people's subjective opinions. In other words, you can't lie. You can't beat the system, right? So what they measured was the hunger hormone. They measured it before the milkshake and after the milkshake. Keep in mind, same milkshake. What they found was the group that had the sensible milkshake, the one that they thought was lower in calories, had higher hunger hormone levels after that milkshake compared to the group who thought they were getting an indulgent six hundred and twenty calorie milkshake and so the findings of the study and and basically that outcome suggest and you can't like you can't cast the net really broad and say oh, well, indulgent milkshakes mean you're not going to be as hungry or, or, you know, sensible milkshakes mean that you're going to be hungrier. What it basically says was in this group, and you could tease this out over a a larger group and it would be interesting, but basically says the way you think about what you are getting really, really, really impacts whether or not you feel satisfied. So uh, this idea of having to be married to a diet full of white rice, boiled chicken breast, steamed broccoli, egg whites, bro foods. No one wants to sign up for that. And so this person's question basically was saying like, is there value just being sensible and indulging in things that are higher calorie? And so the study would suggest, yes, and I think even in working people with even in with working with people, we have seen the more that people give themselves the permission to just enjoy the food that they like, the more the more they're able to adhere to the structure of what their what their plan says
1: i don't know how this plays into that specific study or how, you know what the result of this would be but i find that often people will say when they i don't make the things myself so that would be a bad example when people make things for me they say oh this is healthy because this is healthy because i used honey not sugar this is healthy because i left this out this is healthy because you know, whatever. Sometimes I wonder using what they learn in that study, if people are told or tell themselves this is quote unquote healthy, do they end up indulging more? Do they tell themselves, oh no, I'm satisfied. I can go overboard because it is healthy. I, I, I don't know. It just makes me wonder.
0: It's a really, really interesting topic for a couple of reasons. So there this this kind of goes back to the age old topic of is it better to have just a little bit of the quote-unquote real thing or is it better to have a lot of the quote-unquote you know mimic So, for in other words would it be better to have full fat full sugar full send ice cream and just have a little bit of it for let's say 100 calories or would it be better to have multiple scoops of sugar-free no fat ice chipped vanilla ice cream for the same calorie allotment. And a lot of that's going to depend on preference. And so like what you were saying is what we do find over and over again, this is especially true of artificial sweeteners. So artificial sweeteners in and of themselves cannot cause a person's calorie intake to increase and put on weight. Chemically it's impossible. What we do find is that People who consume artificial sweeteners generally tell themselves, I'm saving calories over here so I can have more of this over there. What would that look like? Maybe you go to, the, the, this is such a, bad, um, such a bad example, but maybe you go to McDonald's, right? And you get the Diet Coke with your meal. No calories in the Coke, so the brain says, well, I'm saving there. I'm going to go for the two apple pies because, well, number one, they're only 99 cents. And number two, I've saved calories on the soda, so I have room for those apple pies. Well, you're not going to see any progress made towards your weight loss consuming two double cheeseburgers, a large fry, and two apple pies, even if you get the Diet Coke. So it still is excess calorie consumption that's causing the issue. But to your point, yes, people tell themselves since I have saved here, I will spend there. I think one of the greatest parallels for nutrition is money, right? I mean, we do the same thing somewhere else. If if you, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to choose the lower cost item because then that's going to give me 10 more dollars to get the titanium spork to take on the trip. Ask me how I know <laughs> it's the type of crap that you see me do all the time. But the other thing is it's really interesting that you asked the question because for me personally, this was something I was constantly teetering towards back and forth between in my own weight loss. And for me, food volume helped tremendously to for me to lose my weight. In other words, I would rather have massive amounts of the fake stuff because it caused me to feel full than just a little bit of the real stuff. For, because for me, it wasn't so much about taste. If I could get like even a bad mimic of the real thing, but it made me feel full, like that's what I would pick. What would you pick?
1: A whole bunch of the real thing, of course. <laughs> You know, the Diet Coke thing makes sense, right? That you talked about, okay, I'll save I'll save on the Diet Coke or I'll save on the sugar free or I'll say, you know, save here or there, and then you go overboard on something else. That makes sense. It makes sense why that's not effective. Are there or what are the foods, if there are any foods or drinks where it's sugar free, but you're still getting calories. It's kind it reminds me of Oh, I got this on sale. Well, it would have been cheaper if you never got it in the first place. So, are there foods that seem like a healthy alternative while still indulging a little bit, but really aren't?
0: Yeah. And we, we, I don't see this so much in Valley of the Peak, like in the programs here, saw this all the time in the hospital. And so, generally, where it is, is it's some kind of, it's generally some kind of confectionery, like a cookie or whatever, or candy, sugar-free cookie, sugar-free candy. And so people consume those like almost as if they have no consequence, right? So they may eat an entire row of sugar-free Chips Ahoy cookies, never realizing, well, you, you just ate 900 calories because there still is flour in there. There still is protein in the flour that you're like, you're getting calories from somewhere. Even if... There's no actual sugar being added. And so, yes, there are places like that. But I would say the other place that's really, really surprising to people, maybe not even in the same arena, but I still think it's worth mentioning, is alcohol. Because you will consume, you know, like if you have a, let's think about this. If you have a mixed drink and you think, well, I'm going to get Coke Zero mixed in, mixed in that drink as opposed to like regular soda. I'm I'm saving myself a bunch. Alcohol is the second most calorie-dense thing that we know of. So even if you're going for something like Coke Zero in your mixed drink, you're not saving anything because there's so much alcohol still in there.
1: What's the first most calorie-dense thing we know of? Fat. That's what I thought.
0: Yeah, fat fat has nine calories per unit of weight. Alcohol has seven. So it's not uncommon where you'll see someone – have you know like this dives into a deep conversation but very little nutrition for the day very little um, by way of energy that actually gives energy so very little carbohydrate very little protein very little fat but their calorie intake will be blown way out of the water and you often look at that and you will find that it's usually because of alcohol this actually just happened <laughs> someone in the program they went to celebrate oktoberfest it's right now it's september twenty first, and There was a big uh, kind of fall fest in town this weekend and I was looking at his nutrition and I thought, man, he didn't eat much, but those calories are insane. He had over 1,400 calories from beer at the Oktoberfest, but very little intake the rest of the day. And so you look at that and you're like, well, man, it doesn't like conceptually a person will look at that and think, well, I didn't really, I'm not really, oh, this is a good one. I don't really eat much but like i can't seem to lose weight i don't understand how i'm not eating much but there's just not any weight come off this was really true in the hospital you'd sit down and you'd have a conversation with these people and you would find out oh your understanding is you're not sitting down to meals very often which means to you you're not eating much but you don't recognize your calorie intake is still way out of this world because You're stopping and you're getting, you know, a double fudge latte in the morning with a slice of zucchini bread. It doesn't seem like much actual food, right? You could fit all of that in the palm of your hand, but that's more calories than an entire table full of food that you've cooked at home. And I think that that really paints the picture well too, is that food volume, like the the problem with calorie dense foods and the foods that this person had been asking about and saying, is it okay to indulge on these sometimes? isn't that those foods have sugar or fat or oil or are in some sort of arbitrary library of bad foods in the library of Congress? It's nothing like that at all. It's that you get a lot of calories for very, very little filling power, right? And the, the problem with that is then it becomes very, very easy to overconsume those foods, which means your calorie intake always remains high which means it's really challenging to ever maintain your weight, whatever that is.
1: So I know the goal within the Valley to Peak program and probably what many people are doing even on their own is to, you know, you you are very accurate in measuring and tracking and counting and all of that. At some point, the hope is that becomes second nature and then you can not get away from eating that way, but not be as tied to these numbers and measurements if it becomes natural to you to do that. So is there a way that you would recommend a safe way you could say to do that? You know, is it giving yourself allowances? Is it saying have a little bit more? What would you, what did you say to them? What would be the a safe way, safe meaning she doesn't want to gain all of the weight back to do this?
0: That's an excellent question. So the whole goal of tracking and measuring is twofold. Number one, you learn so much about nutrition doing that. And it's not designed to be done forever. It's designed to be done for a lim- very limited amount of time. And the second purpose of that is so that you reach this goal that you've got. Without that data, you are playing a guessing game against foods that are you think are good or bad. In reality, it has nothing to do with that. I think one of the greatest lies and misconception in the nutrition world is that quality of food matters more than quantity. You could eat the healthiest food on the face of the planet and your weight could go straight through the roof. You could eat the most garbage food on the face of the planet and you can bring your weight down to even levels. That's just the reality of it. Now, that's a way deeper conversation when it comes to long-term health and fighting chronic disease and weight management and all of these other things but if you're talking strictly about scale movement quality is less important than quantity so we track and we measure for a period of time so we get a grip on that and we we achieve the goal The idea though is, is not perfection, right? Even after graduation, the idea is not, oh, I better make sure that this is one cup and not one cup and one sixteenth of a teaspoon, because that'll send me over the edge. The idea is, is that you're looking at something and you can recognize that's nine cups or that's one, right? It it is kind of a, a game of horseshoes and hand grenades, meaning close is good enough in that, right? I mean, you're, You're really trying to get an idea on being very accurate in your estimates because portions do matter in that scenario. So when a person gets towards maintenance and management, we will move from like having them track seven days a week to five to three, to only on weekends, to only on events where you're unsure and you're a little bit like you go to a wedding and you just, you you know, you want to keep a tab on yourself as a way of, uh, you know, kind of self-accountability. So you could do you know just on special events or just when you travel there's a lot of different ways that we go about it but the idea is that you slowly transition away from it and your question i think was you know how does someone build a level of comfortability in doing that and the answer to that is time you do things that seem really scary you find that nothing bad happens and then you repeat right so it's like Well, I'll just use me as an example. When I lost weight, I was afraid that weight would come back like the boogeyman. Like I had no control over it. It just came off because I happened to hit the right series of three numbers, right? I struck all lucky sevens and the weight came off. And if that luck streak didn't continue, then the weight would rebound. It's not true. It's a hundred percent choice as to whether or not You maintain your weight once you reach it so yeah so there there were times right after i had lost that weight and i was terrified of gaining it back where i mean honestly i would miss social events because i didn't know how to handle them i didn't know that it was choice and so gradually as i started to expose myself this was far before my education as I started to expose myself to social events and I would have a slice of cake or I would have a pie and I would wake up the next day and realize your weight didn't shoot back to 270, you start to build a trust in that, right? And you start to – and hopefully, and I know that this is true of this person, the whole the whole reason the program spread out over as many weeks as it spread out is because every week we are learning something new about nutrition. So hopefully you've got an understanding about how this works so that when you go to the wedding, you're not sitting there worried about the boogeyman and the weight gonna shoot back up. You know how to manage it, right? So that's the entire goal of the program is to tell you how nutrition works, equip you with the skills to handle those things, and then eventually move you to a point where you're not as reliant on the tracking. If anybody has told you like, you've gotta track the rest of your life, that is a recipe for disaster, I feel like. So we do it for a period of time so that when a person graduates, they can maintain.
1: I know that's the goal, and I I understand the, why you want that to be the goal, right? No one wants to be that tied to tracking and whatnot. After they do graduate, after they are, you know, maybe comfortable or getting comfortable not tracking, how do people know how much they should be eating without measuring? Is it they've just got so used to it? Like we tend to eat the same foods over and over to, you know, each day, each week, we have the same types of dinners, the same breakfast. So once I would learn the calories of those things, I wouldn't need to track them anymore. But if people want a more fluid approach or more flexibility in their diet, is it just that they're used to eating a certain way? Does their body not crave it anymore? Do they have to wait till they like gain weight and then go, oh, I tracked, I didn't track. I shouldn't have done that. I mean, how, what does it turn into ideally when tracking is over?
0: yeah that's a good question well, uh, so part of it is that yes, while you're tracking, you are seeing relative to my goals, like what did my intake look like right like what what is a baseline for me what what did i and and you do you build a you build a memory bank of realizing like I wasn't doing quite this much whenever I was maintaining a weight that I felt good at and I was able to move at and I was able to do things I loved at. I didn't feel like it was hard to get out of bed at. You remember those things because you've built a structure over several weeks about them. So you 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 know you can evaluate it on that sense. The other thing that we lean into once a person gets towards maintenance and management is this idea of, and this is a little bit of a woo-woo terminology. So I don't love the terminology, but it the word literally defines it very well, which is intuitive eating. Am I hungry? Then you eat. Am I full? Then you stop, <laughs> right? I mean, that it, it is somewhat that simple. Now, again, like one of the things that we are working on throughout the weeks that we're together is, okay, you don't have to eat the bro foods all the time. It doesn't have to be spinach and egg whites every morning. But how can we improve the quality if even marginally above what you're, what you used to do? That's going to likely mean you get more filling power at those meals, and that's going to naturally make you eat less calories because a lot of the bro foods do have less calories but are more filling. So there's value in both, but the message that's lost so much today is you can't ever eat anything you like. You've got to stick only to the bro foods, and those probably need to be of the highest quality because of insert, you know, whatever polarizing message is out there now. And those things also aren't, aren't true. So to answer your question, learning in the time that you're in the program, or if you're not in the program, spend some time trying to just improve a couple of things in your diet and rely on those, spend some time tracking, spend some time measuring. So you know what your baselines are at the weight that you feel comfortable at, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be close to a BMI chart it just should be a weight that you feel comfortable at that and do things that you love to do without any issue or any hindrance to to doing those things as well as a weight that isn't causing you any health problems like chronic disease or whatever and then eventually move into more of that intuitive eating piece of things i think one other thing to bring up is there is this um there's a there's a database And I think I might've mentioned it before. It's called the National Weight Control Registry, which is just this giant database of people who have lost, I think it's like 20% of their weight or more, and then kept that weight off for a year or longer. And they send a survey out to um, these people every year and they have them answer it. And I'm a part of that database. They have over the years found found similarities among the groups, like what do all these people have in common? And it is worth noting that over 98% of them modified their food intake in some way to lose weight, meaning they weren't just reliant on exercise and none of them basically just kept doing what they were doing prior to their weight loss. But you know, the weight magically came about. So, yeah, I think that there is, like, it seems obvious, but I've learned it's not obvious. You do have to change something. So, you don't have to give up everything. And whether or not you choose something that's crazy indulgent or not indulgent, like those two groups, right? Whether it's whether you're in the really in, indulgent group or you choose to do lower calorie stuff, it's possible to do either of those and maintain your weight. But I will say this whatever route you choose you have to like it and that was the that was at the core of her question whenever she sent it in was basically is it possible to manage this and just simply enjoy what i do i think it i don't think it's just possible i think it's like an absolute you have to so if you're finding yourself doing stuff that just like you hate you've got to find a better way to include stuff that you enjoy Or it will be very short-lived and there is one thing that matters more than anything in any nutrition program and that is consistency so if you can't consistently do something because your plan sucks you've got to find a different way
1: i don't mean this to be a downer more hopefully as an awareness and just because i'm curious awareness for people that are trying to make you know better nutrition choices what is Maybe what's the hardest habit to break or the most deceptive one? Is it quality of food? Is it overeating? Is it, you know, is there something that you've noticed is the hardest habit to break or the habit that creeps in the quickest when people do try to loosen their reins a bit?
0: Yeah, well, the biggest, I think, I think the biggest misconception is that quality matters more than quantity. To me, there's no question that that, I mean, I've seen people with, The highest quality diets and the most expensive grocery bills be in terrible health condition because they can't control the quantity i've seen other people be in positions where they simply cannot cook at home they have to rely on a drive-through because of their schedule and they've dropped weight now the interesting thing is is that usually when you bring a weight into the parameters that's healthy for your body most of the health problems that people tie to nutrition also go away so it's not necessarily the quantity or the or it's not necessarily the quality of the food that's driving a lot of health problems. It's that people eat too much of everything. That drives the weight up. That brings on the health issues. So that's what I would say there. The other thing would be, um, and I would also add into that the whole idea of like, well, I don't really eat much. It doesn't matter whether or not your meals are small or big. Total calorie intake is always going to matter. The other thing that I would say is the hardest habit to break is not eating all day long, right? Not nibbling on little things here and there and stopping by the boss's desk and having a little mini Kit Kat and grabbing a latte down at the coffee bar. I think like, I think for me, if I could have met myself 20 years ago and given myself one piece of advice, it would be this just eat three meals a day. Don't eat any calories outside of those three meals. Stop. Start when you're hungry. Stop when you're full. It doesn't matter what you eat when you do that that would take care of a large majority of many people what they perceive as their as their their weight issues thanks for joining us this week we hope there are a few things that were mentioned that you can either find encouraging or helpful or more importantly give you something to apply in your own approach to nutrition and be back again in another couple of weeks with another new episode. If you have a couple of minutes, it's super helpful to us. If you jump in your podcast platform, give it a ranking, get, give some feedback. It's not just helpful for uh, like growth of the podcast, though that is part of it. It's also helpful for me to know what you like, what you don't like, et cetera, and just helps us to continue to change it and make it more and more of what what you guys want to listen to if there's a question about nutrition or a topic you want to hear covered on the podcast you can shoot those over to info at v 2 pnutritioncom and we would be glad to cover them we started to build a few of those in the hopper over the last couple of weeks it's really fun for me to see the emails come in and to hear what topics interest you and uh, honestly i'm just always surprised how many people do listen to the show so thank you so much even if you never uh, write you know write a question in or rank anything I would genuinely appreciate you listening so thank you for that also remember that the hashtag gummy in the wild contest will go through november mostly because i will still be out until then and i know a lot of other people will be too so it gives you the chance to be out and about enjoying the woods enjoying doing whatever it is that you enjoy doing with your friends and family taking some cool pictures of Gummy in the Wild and perhaps winning some uh, some great prizes from EXO and Argali and Exped, Ivory Holsters and a lot of other really great folks that um, I know personally and are also just small business owners and most importantly, make great products. Check out the post on social media for details on that or you can simply click the link below in the show notes and it will take you to that and give you the details which are very, very, very simple. Have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you again in a couple of weeks.